Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 1 through 12. Cry out loudly, do not hold back, raise your voice like a ram's horn. Tell my people their transgression, and the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me day after day and delight to know my ways, like a nation that does what is right, and does not abandon the justice of our God. They ask me for righteous judgment, they delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted, but you have not seen? We have denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed. Look, you do, as you please on the day of your fast and oppress all your workers. You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will the fast I choose be like this, a day for a person to deny himself to bow his head like a reed, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes. Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I choose? To break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him, and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? Then your light will appear like the dawn, and your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you, and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time, when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, he will say, here I am. If you get rid of the yoke among you, the finger pointing and malicious speaking, and if you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness, and your night will be like noonday. The Lord will always lead you satisfy you in a parched land and strengthen your bones. You'll be like a watered garden and like a spring whose water never runs dry. Some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will restore the foundations laid long ago. You'll be called the repairer of broken walls, the restorer of the streets where people live. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Aaron, for reading that. And I want to encourage everybody to have that passage handy. You can find it on your liturgy, you can have it in your Bible app, however you want to do it. All right. Thank you all for being flexible, you who are here, to brave this wind. We had to do some things different. No cones, no easy ups. Um, but such is life during these days. Roll with it and be flexible. Well, that was a powerful passage. Isaiah 58, 1 through 12. This year, during the season of Lent, our focus will be on what is traditionally considered the outward discipline of Lent, works of mercy and justice. The more inward disciplines of Lent, maybe the things that uh, you're more familiar with when it comes to the season, prayer, and fasting and meditation on scripture. Uh, it's not that they're unimportant or I think they're unimportant this year, but I sensed it this year in my own life and for us as a congregation, the need for us to look outward. I'll be preaching a series called God of Justice so together we can listen to how the scriptures define what justice is and what it means to work for justice in our broken world. Justice is a concept that's being uh, applied or appealed to uh, 
Uh, it's being talked about in many conversations we're having in our culture, in political conversations as well these days. My hope for this series is that we establish a clear biblical foundation for what justice is, the place it has in the heart of God and the place it should have in the lives of those who know the God of the Bible. Mostly, maybe my top goal for this series is that we would be people who more faithfully learn to do justice, not just think about it, not just know what it is correctly, but do justice, love mercy, and walk more humbly with our God. So I would like to first apologize to all of you up front here, listening at home, whoever finds us online. If I teach this passage and the passages that we'll look at this Lenten season, uh, on a, like a one on a scale of 10, 10 being the best sermon you ever heard. If I'm a one, and if you just listen with an open heart to the passages that we'll be looking at, I want to apologize to you because your life will be challenged, confronted, and disrupted. And mine has already been this week because of this passage. So we're starting with a very hard-hitting confrontational passage, and it has a very clear message. It's the title for my sermon, Don't Abandon the Justice of God. It's taken from verse 2. This week I thought maybe I should pick uh, a little bit more of a, a little bit more lighthearted, let us ease into this topic, the God of justice, a little more slowly. And then um, I was starting a discipline during Lent of midday prayer, and I have a prayer book. I opened it up, and it kind of has readings all laid out. And I said, what's the reading for Thursday as I was thinking about this? Like, is this the text to start with? And the reading was Isaiah 58. So I said, okay, Lord, <laughs> let's do this. We'll start with this. The premise of this entire series, you'll see it online if you're following along, is this. There is no true justice without Jesus. And there is no true Jesus without justice. Many are calling for justice without reference to Jesus, without Jesus in our culture, in our world today. Many are ignoring, on the other hand, the call for justice in the name of Jesus somehow. And I'd like to show you, and like for us all to see that from Scripture, both of these are wrong. And I want to talk to those of you who are hungering for justice. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you don't know what Jesus has to do with justice. This sermon series, I hope, will lead you closer to Jesus to know that true justice can be found in him alone. Maybe, for those of you who are Christians and are seeking to follow Jesus, maybe you don't know what exactly he says about justice and you're a little bit confused about all the conversation that's happening around us. And I hope for this series, for you to develop not only a mind and a heart for justice, but that we would all develop a life characterized by justice. So let's look at this text. Isaiah is a prophet, right? He is one of the prophets in scripture, maybe the king of prophets, the longest prophetic book in the Bible. Not many uh, Christians read the prophets. Not many people read the prophets. And in our CBR plan this year, uh, if you're following along with our Bible reading plan, we have a New Testament, Old Testament. The Old Testament is all prophets all year long. I don't know how many have persevered through the first half of Isaiah. Why is it 
that we don't love to read the prophets, why we don't actually spend a lot of time with them. Well, our idea of a prophet is somebody that is calling people out, right? Somebody who is preaching judgment against people. And the reality is that is true and that is accurate. The prophets have some of the hardest and get-in-your-face passages about judgment in the Bible, but the prophets, including Isaiah, including this passage, has some of the most beautiful pictures of redemption, of the heart of God, of restoration in the entire Bible. And this passage has both, and we need both. We don't like to be called out. We don't like to be called into account. But the reality is, if we have a God who's never calling us out, who's never calling us to account, who's always affirming us and agreeing with us and saying, yeah, what you think, that's already what I think. The reality is then that is not a living and real God. That is the God that we have constructed and made up ourselves. So first, here in this text, God is calling out spiritual imposters. He's calling out imposters. And what he says here should shock us. How is Isaiah calling out? Just look at verse 1. How does he do it? Well, this is not an ordinary prophetic message. They're usually pretty, pretty hard-hitting. They were all pretty intense. This is like, if you've read Harry Potter, this is like getting a howler, one of those letters that you open it up and it starts screaming at you in your face. Look at verse 1. What does it say? God says, cry it out. Scream it out. Raise your voice like a trumpet horn. The, 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 the literal Hebrew there is with a full throat, yell it out, cry it out. This isn't even just like any prophetic message. This is one that you have to yell. The horn, usually described in Scripture as a warning, a tool for warning. Get ready, everyone. And that's what's happening here. God is telling Isaiah, tell the people something about their trans transgression and their sin. And it is very, very serious. Why do we raise our voices <laughs> in normal life? Um, often it's because when we, we shout because people aren't listening to us. We want to get people's attention. Maybe there's so much noise happening around us or in our families that we have to say, hey, everybody, listen. And God is saying here, listen to this. Why is God calling out? Why is God telling Isaiah to call out? Well, we have to know who he's calling out in order to answer that. He's calling out very religious people. Look at the text. These are people who are very serious about their faith. He says, these are my people, the house of Jacob. Verse 2 says, they seek me every day. This is, this is a people who had daily spiritual practices daily worship they delight to know my ways god says people who want to know god to seek him to know his word to study it people who can quote it but that's not it they fast regularly i won't ask you to raise your hand how many of you fast regularly in my pastoral and personal experience christians serious christians only probably if i were to estimate about five or ten percent of christians that i'm aware of fast so these are the spiritual of the spiritual, the most religious. 
the most good. And we, we didn't read this in our scripture reading, but the chapter ends by saying how rig- rigorous and scrupul- scrupulous they were about observing the Sabbath. They never missed it. It's also clear these are people who are pretty comfortable. They're in the upper middle class, uh, middle class of society. Verse 3 says they had workers. They were not the workers. They employed the workers. They owned houses and fields. They were advantaged. They had a lot of privileges. Isaiah 58 is God saying, I want to shout something to these kind of people that are religious and spiritual and comfortable and successful. They need to hear it. And he says to them, you are imposters. All of it is an empty shell. Why? Because they had abandoned his justice. What this is saying is God cannot or will not draw near to people. He cannot bless people who have a faith that abandons his justice. So let's just sit with that for a moment. God cannot be truly near. He cannot draw near or bless a people no matter how spiritual they look or try to be, that abandon is justice. Said in a different way, any faith in the God of the Bible that abandons his justice is an imposter faith. You can say you have a relationship with me, God says. You can look like you have a relationship with me, but if you abandon the poor and oppress, you do not have a relationship with me. If you do all the right things and then you go and contribute to oppression, and injustice, you are an imposter. It's not real. Verse 2, God says, you are just acting like, you see the word like? You're acting like a nation who does what is right and does not abandon my justice, but it's only an act. Verse 5, he paints a picture. God says, do I just want to see people bowing their heads like a reed? It's windy right now, so we could get the picture. Just a weed in the wilderness, a reed bouncing up and down, mechanical but empty. And then in verse 3, it gets right to the very heart of it. God says, I see what's on the outside, but I know the question in your heart on the inside. What's going on inside all these efforts to be good? All the religious devotion. They say in verse 3, Why have we fasted? You haven't seen. Why have we denied ourselves, but you haven't noticed? God is saying, I know what you're doing. You are not seeking me for me. You are seeking me for yourself, for what you can get from me, to manipulate me. And as one scholar said, this is no different than the Canaanite religion that was all around them, their cultural religion. How do I manipulate the deity in order to get the deity to give me the life I want? And God says, that's all that's going on with you. Before we move on, something important I want to note about verse 2. We'll come back to this throughout the series, I imagine. What they abandoned was not just justice, you see, but the justice of their God. Here throughout and throughout the Bible, justice is rooted in the character of God in who he is. And this is important in our cultural moment because some Christians, maybe some of you, put up defenses. Whenever the topic of justice comes up, you say, whoa, is this some cultural ideology that's not rooted in the Bible or in God? 
And so your defenses go up because you feel like maybe this is not rooted in God's character or word. Other Christians, maybe some of you are listening or here today, put your defenses down whenever the topic of justice comes up and say, if it's justice, let it all in. We agree because of how central justice is to God in the Bible. Let me say this, not all cultural ideas of justice that are out there match the biblical idea of justice. And many, in fact, are based on the biblical idea of justice without knowing it, but none are as comprehensive as the justice of God rooted in his very character. And let me show you now from this text what I mean. God here calls out imposters, and this is very confrontational for us. And it hit me hard this week. But that's not all that God does. He also shows the kind of justice he's calling for. He says this, verse 6 and 7, this is the fast I choose. In other words, this is the kind of action, the kind of life that results from really getting near to me, from really knowing me and being in relationship with me. This is it. Look at it. Verses 6 and 7. This is what happens to people who are in a real relationship with God. These are the results of true and genuine fasting and worship and prayer. How do you know it's real? He says, you know it's real when you see acts of mercy and justice. This is a powerful description of the kind of justice God is calling for. And you see this in many places in, in the Bible. We're going to look at a lot of those. But here I want to show you how comprehensive it is. This is one of the most powerful and holistic. There are at least three parts to doing the justice God calls for. I want to start at the end in verse 7. First, we must see the injustice, and we must see it for what it is. So people, like many of us who are comfortable, people who believe they have earned their comfortable life and good life by being good and being responsible, tend to ignore the poor and the oppressed. Usually, often, they say, injustice? Where? I don't see it. My life's not too bad. Everyone just needs to get their act together and be responsible. And they tend to structure their life to ignore and blot out and not see the injustice. We see this in how we structure our suburbs. We move away from places of injustice so we don't have to see it. But here, God describes the people who are hungry and poor and naked, those who are oppressed, trapped in injustice with chains and ropes. You see in verse 7 what he says? He says, you can't ignore your own flesh and blood. Your own flesh and blood. This is radical. This is unheard of in this culture and at this time. Nowhere else in the ancient world was the idea of the equal dignity of all people affirmed in this way. In the ancient world, it was all about your kin, your, fle your real flesh and blood. The people who are related to me, those who are in my tribe, in my family, I will take care of them. Their well-being is wrapped up in my well-being. But no one thought that the people outside of my tribe and my nation and my race and my ethnicity were my flesh and blood. And God says, they are your flesh and blood. They are your kin. And here we see the Bible's teaching that we're all created in the image of God applied in order that we might see 
injustice. If all people are my own flesh and blood, then their plight is also my plight. We don't ignore the hurt and the plight and the conditions of our own family members, our own flesh and blood. So biblical justice, a quick definition would be when we give all human beings their due as fellow image bearers. The baseline then is equality. Literally, it says, don't hide yourself from your own flesh. Hiding yourself, pretending that people aren't there. Persuading oneself that somebody else will take care of them or just wishing it would go away. Would you do that to your own family? God says, no, it's unheard of. So see it. See the injustice first. Secondly, show special concern for oppressed groups. It's not just equality. It's not just affirming and seeing the equality of all people. It's showing special concern for oppressed groups. Look at verse 6. God says, here it is. Here's the fast. I want you to break the chains of wickedness. Tear off the yoke. Untie the ropes. You see, friends, this is not just saying treat everybody equally. This goes beyond that. Biblical justice goes beyond that. It is saying some people, not everyone, are weighed down with yokes, are tied up with chains, and held back by ropes. So those people, they deserve your special concern. This is talking about structural and systemic forces that hold people back, keep them down, and chain them. Imagine this, if we put these two together. Imagine um, if you're a parent or grandparent, if you have a niece or nephew, and this child is outside playing. And uh, somehow, you can imagine this happening. That child, accidentally, they're playing with a lock, and they chain themselves to a fence or a tree. On accident, oops, I'm stuck. And so you wonder, as time goes by, where are they? They should be back by now. I wonder what's going on with them. And so time goes by, and you're, like, getting really worried. And finally, you walk outside, and you hear this faint voice, Mommy, Daddy, help. You run out to see your child chained to a fence. And then you say, oh, my gosh, how did this happen? What's going on? Here, let me get you your dinner. You bring out your dinner, and let me get you your coat. And then you go back inside. No. <laughs> you break the chain. You unleash it. You unlock it. And you bring them back into your home. That's what God is saying here. To feed someone without tearing off their yoke. To give individual relief apart from addressing the structure, the chain, the yoke, the larger system. It is good, but it is not enough. It is not the biblical justice that God is calling for. In the Old Testament, God says over and over and over again, we'll look at these. I have special concern for groups that bear a yoke, that are chained up, that are roped up. There's a, there's a threefold group that usually comes up, the, the orphan, the widow, and the alien or the foreigner. These are groups, clearly in the Bible, that God shows special concern for. Why? Why? We need to know this because at this time, in this culture, these were three groups that would have been especially overlooked. Ignored the social structures and systems were not designed for them, but designed in a way that disadvantaged them. Because in order to have security and wealth, you needed to be attached to a husband if you're a woman, or a dad if you were a child. So if you were widowed or orphaned, there was no system or structure for you. 
If you came to a country being of a different race, ethnicity, or nationality, the systems were not built for you, but to keep you out. God has special concern for them. And we, in our time, in our culture, in our situation, as Christians are called to think not just of those three groups, though those continue, but other groups for whom the structure and the system ends up creating yokes and chains and ropes. Thirdly, first we see the injustice for what it is, a denial of equality. Secondly, we show special concern for oppressed groups. And thirdly, we must share in the cost of doing justice. A lot of our conversations about justice, we end up getting in arguments about who should do what. What, what the, the, the left call to justice and the right call to justice, if we can use that terminology, what they have in common often is that it's somebody else's job to do it. It's the government's job, by and large, says the left. It's the individual's job, by and large, says the right. God says we must share in the cost of justice ourselves if we know him. Why is working for justice called a fast? I think it's more than God just seeing the, the fasting going on. He's saying this is not real fasting. It has to do, I think, with the nature of fasting. Fasting is giving up something. It's choosing to bear something uncomfortable, not eating, to give up something that is good in order to get something that is better, a deeper relationship with God. There's a physical cost in fasting, right? The justice God calls for comes only when people who have the gift of relative justice, there's no perfect justice, relative justice, are willing to bear the cost, share in the pain for those who are bearing the brunt and the yoke and the chains of greater injustice. There's no comfortable option. Look at verse 7. God says, I want you to share with them. I want you to feed them. I want you to clothe them. Very basic level. Share your stuff. Share your things with them. It will cost you. This is great. This is a great challenge for us. We can debate justice all we want, but here's where the rubber meets the road. God says, will you share? Underlying this is a theology of whose things are they anyway? There's no such thing as private property in the Bible. There is only God's property, which is given to us by grace. Listen to what one scholar says about it. We often object and say, no, this is mine. And therefore, I may keep it for myself. Why should I make common property of that which God has given me? And God replies, it is indeed thine. But on this condition, that you share it with the hungry and thirsty, not that you eat it yourself alone. And listen... This is the dictate not only of common sense, this scholar said, that the hungry and deprived are being deprived of their just right if their hunger is not relieved. This person is saying, the scholar on this text, to not share what God has given you with those in need is not just stingy. He's saying it is unjust. Who said this? Well, it was not a Marxist who was not a socialist, it was John Calvin who said this, commenting on Isaiah 58. 
This text is hard. Calls out imposter faith. It tells us this is the justice God calls for and describes it. See it. Show special concern and share in the cost. A real relationship with God cannot abandon justice like this. So convicting. But that's not all it is. It's a call to repentance. This is not just a beat down and a calling out. This is a call to those who are willing to listen, to turn, and to walk with God into justice, the way that he is calling you to. It's a call to repentance. You know, um, repentance in the Bible, it's called for in all kinds of ways, but often repentance is called for in the Bible by showing us what could be. If we turn our lives over to God in this area of our lives, wherever he's convicting us, this is what it could be like. And that's what's being done here in Isaiah chapter 58. Let me just turn there. The wind is turning all my pages. Would you look with me at what Isaiah says could be? He says in verse 10, If you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, your light will shine in the darkness. Your night will be like noonday. You'll enjoy the favor of God and his light. The Lord will always lead you, satisfy you in a parched land, strengthen your bones. You'll be like a watered garden, like a spring whose water never runs dry. Some of you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You'll restore the foundations laid long ago. You'll be called the repairer of broken walls, a restorer of streets where people live. Often when we think about making a change, and it's going to be a hard change, we need the before and the after picture. We look at that after picture, we keep it in our minds, and God says, this is the after picture of those who heed the call. This is God's call to restorative, repairing justice, to repair areas of brokenness, to alongside with God in his nearness to know him closely and to be on mission with him. God says, This is the after picture. How is it possible? (laughs) How can this be? And this passage is saying, be careful what you ask for. If God answered your prayers to come near to you, God is saying, you want to be near to me? He says, if I come near to you and you abandon my justice, that will only be judgment and justice for you. Now, it's easy to misunderstand this. And this is very important. What this passage is not saying is this. Do the justice I call for, God's saying, and then you can have a relationship with me and get close to me. That's not what this is saying. What this passage is saying is, if you get near to me, then this is the fruit. This is the life that will result. And so the question is, how do we get near to God? Even when our lives are not conforming to his call for justice. Well, the answer to the call of Isaiah 58, it doesn't really become clear until we read on into Isaiah chapter 59, the next chapter. How does a people who is stuck or holding on to what we would say, according to this passage, is an imposter faith? How do you get out of it? How does it become real and genuine? How do we get near to God and do justice? Isaiah 59, 15 and 16 say this, The Lord looked at the situation. And he saw there was no justice. He was offended. He saw there was no one. He was amazed there was no one interceding. 
And so what did he do? Isaiah 59 says, he came. He came. With his own arm, he worked justice. He put on the armor of righteousness to come, to address a world of injustice. Friends, this is the gospel. According to Christianity, this is what will turn a heart towards justice, realizing that what God calls for here, he has already done for you. What God calls for here, for justice, he has already done for us in meeting his justice. What do I mean? Well, Jesus is the one who came to us, the one who was equal with God, became equal with us in our humanity. He saw past our sin and our mess to our created dignity and worth. He came not just to help us or to give us a little bit of assistance. Jesus came to break the yoke and the chain and the ropes of our sin, the sin that we even choose, of ourself, of the world system, and of the devil himself. How did Jesus do that? Not by sharing a little bit with us, but by sharing everything with us, by giving his whole self for us, so that when we meet with God and draw near to God, we don't meet justice alone. We meet a God of mercy and grace. God remains just. He didn't relax the standard. He didn't throw out the standard of his justice. The gospel is he met it, the penalty of justice, in our place in Christ, so that we would know all is grace. And that is the heart that gets melted. That is the heart that can turn to God and say, what you have done for me, I could never repay. But let me do it, not so I can get something from you, but so I can, in obedience, Respond to your love and love others not to get anything from them, but just because I have been loved in that way. You know, no amount of guilt or cultural pressure or political pressure is enough to, to cause us to live this life of justice, to share in the cost. It's the grace of God alone that changes the heart. It doesn't happen overnight. But God says, when you get close to me, it will happen. There's one more aspect to this. Do I have time for it? Nobody said no, so I'm going to do it. There's one more aspect to this. I think this is really important. To the nearness of God, the renewal and joy that is described in Isaiah chapter 58, he says, if you walk with me in this, it'll be like light, the darkest of dark. No, you don't even know. It's like light. You'll... You'll be able to pray with me, and I'll say, here I am. And you'll be a repairer, a restorer of what is broken in this world. There's one more aspect to this I think that's very important. It's that the poor and the oppressed and the victims of injustice, listen, they know God and his nearness in a way that those who are comfortable and wealthy and advantaged do not. This was driven home to me this week. I watched episode one of a PBS special called The Black Church. Um, what, I, what I was struck by in watching that, it is a miracle of God. It is a miracle of God and testament to his power that despite the Christianity, 
quote-unquote, that was in flagrant violation of this passage and many others that abandoned God's justice, that put people in chains, that put yoke on people for hundreds of years and somehow covered it up and excused it in the name of Christianity. It was an imposter faith. Despite that, many African Americans saw the God described here in this passage and said, this is the God of the Bible. They were drawn to Jesus who came in to a world of injustice to Bera and said, I will follow him. And so here's the point I want to make. Maybe the reason why God calls those who have, those who are advantaged and those who have privilege to go into places of injustice is so that they might meet God where he is already at work. Because this is where genuine faith and real faith is found. So those who are told to go to those who don't have, maybe we're called to go in order to find the full and real God that we are seeking. Let's pray. God, this passage calls us out, calls me out. I pray we wouldn't run from it. I pray you'd help us to sit with it, that it would cause us to run to you. In many places, we may be sensing we lack. We need to move into justice further. Move us out by your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Some places we need to wrestle. Some of us need to wrestle with this. I pray for me and for our church, Trinity, that you would not let us stay in any kind of imposter faith. Even if it costs us, that because of your grace and goodness and mercy that is abundant to us in Jesus, that we'd move out in obedience and know the blessing of being a repairer and a restorer along with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.